Well, welcome everybody. Let's start with a, uh, a word of prayer and uh, got a couple of things for us to talk about here. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we could be here today. We pray that you would bless this time and that you would help us to um, live and walk by faith, which you know, in a real sense means that we live in your forgiveness since we walk together. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would, would bless this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, things are a little bit chaotic, and so I'm sorry I'm a, I'm a bit late. Well, this is actually not too bad for me, the way that uh, Sunday mornings often go for me. Uh, but uh, um, I've got Chris coming back from Valparaiso. Kate, or Libby had a concert last night, so she and Sandy went over there to see the concert. They're bringing Libby back with them because Katie's getting married this afternoon. And... Um, and then Rick flew in, and he's actually downstairs teaching the confirmation class. If there are any students that show up, because when I was down there, there wasn't anybody in the room, and the one child that was there was helping in the Sunday school. You know, so it's kind of like doing a little bit of a tap dance. Um, but I want to start out by going back to uh, the last class, uh, March 26th, I think it was. Um, it, it's, it's been a while. Last week was Easter. And um, I need to go back to that class uh, because I dropped the ball. Um, I did not handle uh, what was going on there well. Um, there was a politically charged topic that was raised in that class. And frankly, um, when it came up, I... I basically, I bailed on it because I didn't feel like I could bring the conversation to a satisfactory place. Yeah. And, um, you know, I try to not be overly political. And I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit here, um, just kind of where I come from. But um, the way that I handled that in that class, uh, I, I didn't handle it uh, well. I, I just moved on. I kind of avoided it. And... Um, and partly that's because of um, my desire to be liked and I don't like to upset people if I don't have to. Um, and I know that my political stances will upset people. Um, and uh, it, it's just the way that, that, that it is. And, uh, uh, but yet my failure, um, uh, I fear, uh, did upset people and hurt some feelings. And I apologize for that. So. I want to give you just a few words about politics and how I look at these things. Because I don't think I look at politics, I know I don't look at politics the way that I used to, and I don't think that uh, I look at politics the way that a lot of people do. Um, I, when I was growing up, I, I was pretty conservative. Um, I was very conservative. Um, and uh, I often think of the, the quote from Ronald Reagan, uh, where he said, I did not leave the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party left me. Um, and that really sums up how I feel about United States politics in general. Not one party, the whole thing. Um, I feel like a political nomad. Every election that I go to, I don't want to vote for anybody on the ballot. And, uh, um, and that's, that, you know, 
it, it's a difficult thing. Um, I feel like a person without a home uh, politically, and um, and I find that to be that I'm uncomfortable with everything. And uh, I'm not saying that to whine. I'm not looking for sympathy. Um, I actually, I actually think that that might be a better place to be um, in terms of trying to live the Christian life in a fallen and broken world. And when I think about politics anymore, um, I try to view everything through the lens of being part of the kingdom of God. Now, did I just say that I succeed at viewing everything through the lens of being part of the kingdom of God? No, I, I do not. But there are a couple of, a couple of principles that I've really grabbed onto over the last several years um, to, to really you know, shape the way that I, I think about politics. The first is uh, compassion for the broken. You know, how do we meet people who have real serious needs and hurts in their lives? How do we have compassion on people? Because the world is a mess. And we experience all kinds of pain in this world. So how do, how do we meet people where they're at? Not with judgment, but with compassion. So that's one of the things that's often in my mind. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I'm a Christian. And, uh, and so another point that's always in my mind is grace for the sinner. How do we bring Jesus' forgiveness to people? It's not the government's job, but it is part of my life uh, as, as a Christian. Um, and that grace for sinners includes me. Um, uh, I will put myself at the top of that list. And if I see myself as a sinner and I see the sins of other people and I find myself holding on to a savior that can forgive their sins too, I think that that's going to inform how I treat people. And that's been something that's been in my mind a lot. Um, With that comes a commitment to striving to live according to God's ways. God's ways are rooted in grace, but you know, there's also law. He speaks to how we should live in relationship to each other. Uh, so I've been wrestling a lot with what, is, what does it mean to have God as a creator? You know, to think about what, is that, what impact does that have on me and my relationship with my neighbors? What does that have, how does that impact me and my relationship with my fellow creatures, which includes squirrels and deer and trees and rivers and rocks? Because there are connections there. Because I have more in common with those things than I do with God. You know, he's God, I'm a creature, these other things are created. Yeah. You know, and, and I think about those things a lot. What does it mean to live uh, in relationship seeing God as a, uh, as a redeemer? You know, redeemer for me, redeemer for my neighbors. How does he redeem people's lives? Because it, when we talk about redemption, redemption isn't just, you know, your sins are forgiven. That's, that's baseline. In redemption, you also find, you know, restoration, people being healed. We find people um, being rebuilt. You know, all of those kinds of things are, are part of living in relationship with God as a redeemer. 
Um, and then seeing God as a, as a sanctifier. You know, that's one of those uh, know, 50 cent words, uh, you know, sanctification. And it's something that we really, it, it really has no place in our society. You know, um, evangelism, strangely enough, has become part of our uh, society's language because we have all kinds of people who are basically selling different things and they become evangelists for their brand. Um, so that, that word has come into you know, the, the regular language. But sanctifying, making something holy, that is, um, you know, what, what does that mean for us? You know, to have a God who sanctifies, who uses his power to convert and uses his power to transform you know, from the inside out. You know, to think about that in terms of our politics, I think, uh, is important in how we're going to deal with people. And so I think about things like truth and mercy and justice. And I try to not think of mercy and justice separately. I think they have to walk hand in hand. Um, and I think a lot about repentance. You know, that's a word I use a lot in my sermons, right? You, you know, you've heard me talk about repentance over and over and over again. Um, but the idea that we are called to turn to turn from our sins and to turn to God. And that that's something that we're going to constantly live in. These are things that are just very much informing how I live with the world. And that makes my political views muddy and uncomfortable. Uh, I'm, I'll be really honest, sometimes they're uncomfortable for me. Um, you know, especially, you know, as I look at the world, um, areas of justice for people um, in, in different ethnic groups. I, I feel kind of quixotic sometimes. Um, you know, Don Quixote, you know, going after the windmills, you know. Um, I don't like to use the word race because there isn't races. There aren't races. There is a race, the human race. And, uh, and, and I can go after that windmill all day long and we're still going to use the word. Um, but, uh, you know, that, 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 that Im impacts the way that I think about these things. Uh, care for the poor and the least of these. The scriptures talk about it over and over and over and over and over. You know, protection of human life, human sexuality and marriage. God says a lot about these things. And the role of the church vis-a-vis -vis the state is something I think about a lot too. Uh, because I think that the church has fallen into the trap of trying to live according to political power. And that's something that has happened throughout history. Um, I mean, I could take you back. Uh, I think it was Emperor Theodosius who bowed the knee before the, the Bishop of Rome. And this was a big political movement, you know, because, you know, all of a sudden here's the Pope and, you know, he is uh, showing power over the emperor and all of these things. And, I don't think that we're called to be politically powerful. Um, I think that when we think about how we change the world and we change a society, that our default in America has been, well, we're going to do it through the ballot box. You know, we're going to change the laws and then people have to comply. It doesn't work. Um, and it doesn't change people's hearts. 
And so um, some people are, will, will tell us that the church has nothing to say to the state, to which I say baloney. And others will, will say you know, that the, the church must bend the knee to the state, to which I say, no, I won't. Um, they have to live in a relationship. And uh, you know, the church is to speak truth to the state, and then it's also to be a blessing and a benefit within the state. And uh, I will also, uh, kind of the last thing on, on this, I will say, uh, I fall woefully short of my ideals. You know, uh, we went through the life of Moses for our Lenten messages. And if you heard that, one of the things that you might remember is that Israel is always saying things like, it was because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here? You know, remember the, remember the food that we ate when we were in Egypt? Let's go back to Egypt. That is a very real example of part of the human condition, that we return to the things that we know. We return to the things that we're comfortable with. Um, and, uh, you know, even after Jesus' resurrection, I don't think we're going to have this reading this year, um, Peter is there with some of the other disciples. They've seen Jesus risen from the dead, and they're kind of like, I don't know what to do. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the others are like, we'll come to. Because this is what they knew, and it's what they knew to do, and they went and they fished. Um, we return to the things that we know. And, uh, and so sometimes I default to a more conservative stance than I am comfortable with. But as I deal with this world, and as I deal with the political stuff, I, you know, un un unless we really want to have a, you know, I, j I just don't see a way that when in those conversations that, that I, 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 I win, uh, you know, and I you know, come to a good place for the sake of the kingdom and for the congregation and, and all of that. And so I want to be very, very careful with that. And so, again, I apologize for dropping the ball. And uh, um, hopefully we can get back into uh, the Romans and just really focus on what Paul is saying there. So, sir. Well, I, I appreciate hearing that from you. You may be surprised. You're not the only one who has those feelings of... Uh, not knowing which side to look at. I know that I find things, uh, I'm conservative also, and I find things that I appreciate on that side, but I don't like the people that are saying it, and I don't like the reasons that they're saying it, and it's the same on the other side. Uh, I, I feel compassion, but, uh, but not in every situation uh, there has to be a limit and, and so to hear you say that, to, to know that there's other people that have that same conundrum, I, I appreciate it. And I, I just think there's a lot of people like us that have that. And I can, you know, I cannot claim to be nonpartisan. I go out and canvas for votes and things like that. But you should realize that how there are people who are aligned more one way than the other. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that I think, here's this group of people that always have the right answers. 
and this color always has the wrong answers. It, it just doesn't, we're human, it doesn't yeah. fall out. Right. And like you were saying, the people with the right answers may not be the right people. That's right. You know, that happens too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's, there's room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of times the political discourse that I hear, there is no room. And I don't think that, one, I don't think it's true. Two, I don't think that that's where God's people should be. Now, don't hear what I didn't say. I didn't say that God's people shouldn't be partisan. I think that, that, that we can you know, align with parties you know, to our varying degrees, kind of hold the nose. And... For those other people. So, right. You know, they don't disagree with me because they're evil. Right. They yeah. disagree with me. One of the things that I just found very hopeful and regardless of how else you feel about this, when Trump was indicted, there were people from both sides down there. And the sign that I saw, at least in the program I was watching, was the biggest and the most legend, just said, stop hating each other because you disagree. Yeah. And, and, oh, there's, there's yeah. that in America too. This is good. <laughs> yeah. And yet there, there are people who, I think they want us to hate each other, oh, but they find political yeah. advantage in that. Well, there you go. And I really am trying to not play the game. Right, right. So, all right, Romans. Romans 10, 16 through 21, I think that's where we're at. Um, the passage says, but not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have held my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. So uh, I think that this starts out with the, uh, the lament of uh, prophets and evangelists across the ages when uh, uh, St. Paul writes, uh, not all have obeyed the gospel. Now, that, I think that sounds a little bit weird in our ears, obeying the gospel. Usually when we hear the word obedience, we tend to connect that to the law. You know, um, one of the things that I talk about with the kids is that uh, the law tells us what we should do. You know, so th there is this sense of, you know, if, if there's a command that's involved, if there's something that is going to convict, um, it, it, that's the law. You know, if it's telling us what to do, that's the law. We don't usually use that language with the gospel. Um, and so as I think about how do we understand what does it mean to obey the gospel, uh, I think in a large part it means to take the gospel, to receive it as the gift that it is, and to live in the forgiveness, you know, in, in the transformation that it brings into our lives. I, I think that um, sometimes as we think about, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm forgiven. Now what? You know. Well, 
but not to be saved, right? You know, so, and this is a dichotomy that sometimes we really wrestle with. And, and so for some of our other Christian brothers and sisters, you know, they'll say, well, you're a Christian. Now here are the things that you have to do, you know, so that your behavior matches up with, you know, and if you don't do those things, then, well, maybe you're not a Christian. And you're not saved, right? You know, which is, you know, the really, the, the real trick in this. You know, and so, you know, to obey the gospel, I think, is very much to hold on to this forgiveness and this grace, this good news of Christ crucified, raised, and coming again, but also recognizing that this has an impact in our lives. That as we live in that grace, uh, we do not want to continue to sit in our sin. You know, that this is something that is going to to lift us up, it's going to give us joy, it's going to, you know, give us peace, and then we're going to also live differently in relationship to our neighbors. And it, over and over again, you know, God's word goes out and people are like, yay! And then they keep doing the same thing that they always do. Do you know how I know that people do that? Because I do that. You know, it, it's, it's just... It's part of the human condition, and it's frustrating. You know, and so Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our message? Because I, I remember a story I heard one time uh, about a, a pastor who had been the pastor of a church for a long period of time, and the church was right across the street from a bar. And one day, the pastor goes across the street into the bar after he's been there for years. He's never been in the bar. If we had a bar across the street, I might be going over for lunch on a regular basis, just being honest. Um, and, uh, you know, and he's never been in there. And he goes over, he introduces himself, and, he, and as he's sitting there, he's talking with the, um, the bartender, he shares the gospel with him. And the bartender says, you don't believe that. And he's like, what do you mean I don't believe that? That's what I talk about every day, every Sunday, and, you know, and the bartender says, that, well, if you believed it, you would have been here a long time ago. Lord, who has believed our message? You know, I, I, I think there's an element of truth to that. And I also think that sometimes we get goofed up on what is the message. A lot of what has been presented as what is Christianity, and I think that this is... I think that this is particularly American, although I think it's, it's human, too. So I think that if you were to look at other parts of Christianity around the world, you would find parts of this. But I, I think that the, the way that Christianity is lived here in America because of our, our, our uh, Protestant and um, um, Puritan upbringing, you know, that's very influenced, you know, in, in our society, um, that we think that to share the good news is a um, self-improvement project. These are the things that you should do. That the message of Christianity is, you know, uh, if you follow these principles, then you're going to have your life in order and you're going to live in God's love. Th this is one of the things that I find difficult about um, some of the other, you know, churches and denominations around us um, you know, because 
the moment they come, a person comes to faith through the good work that they're doing, sharing the gospel, the next thing is, now you have to do. I also sometimes get a little bit frustrated with us, myself as a Lutheran, who is, you know, we tend to be really good on the whole forgiveness side of it and keeping that straight, but don't always do a very good job on, now how does this transform you, right? Uh, and and it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult balance because if you get the emphasis on the wrong syllable, you know, people will go in the wrong directions with their life. And so when I talk with people about what does it mean to share the message of the gospel, you know, people get really intimidated. They're like, Pastor, you don't know how big of a sinner I am. To which I'm usually like, I probably have a pretty good guess because <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're, they're all about well, my example isn't what it ought to be. That's the wrong message. The message is, look, Christ can forgive somebody like me. And if he can forgive somebody like me, he can certainly forgive somebody like you. That message of forgiveness is really the heart and the core of the message of the gospel. Now, I do think we want to get to that sanctification thing with people. Um, and we want to be very clear, however, that it's not that part that brings salvation. It's salvation and forgiveness that brings the sanctification. And so if we really root ourselves in forgiveness and live in that forgiveness and then start to strive and to repent, that the behaviors change. The attitudes change. And I, I should, yeah. And it's not just behaviors. A lot of times it starts with attitudes, right? You know, um, think about the commandments. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. So you have a person who's been completely living for themselves as a selfish jerk. And they come to faith and that attitude changes no, there is a God who I am accountable to. I am still a selfish jerk, but now I feel bad about it. That's a pretty important change in a person's life, isn't it? I need forgiveness. It's a pretty important change. And uh, um, in our culture, um, we really put a, a, a premium on, look at how my behavior changed. You know. When you hear conversion stories, don't you love the conversion stories of the, uh, the cocaine-addicted prostitute who is all of a sudden just, you know, the, the perfect mom and, you know, saintly, you know, and all of these things? We love those stories. But it's no more miraculous than, you know, I was a selfish jerk and now I feel bad about it because the Spirit of God has convicted me of my sin. And I'm striving to do better, but I ain't there. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think sometimes sin can be oppressive. Oh, I think sin is oppressive. To yourself. Yeah. And, and, and there's so much of it that you just you feel like, like, I can't solve it all. You so can't what? I can't solve it all. Right. I can't just go cold turkey. Right. Sin, you know, so, so you throw up your hands, you know? Yeah. And I think that forgiveness puts that in a totally different light. Yeah. No, I'm not going to change totally overnight, but I can. I can keep striving. This morning, since Easter, my weight has been going the wrong direction. So.
So today I I stepped back on the pedestal instead of the bear. Good job. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I really appreciate your self restraint there. <laughs> I had a cookie too, so. How about if we trust the Holy Spirit to work on us and them? True. You know, and, and so as the Spirit is working on us and He's working on them, um, we are, are being shaped and we're being formed. And if he brings us into a position where we have the opportunity to tell somebody about God's love and forgiveness, that, you know, by the Spirit's power, we're going to jump on that opportunity to tell them about love and forgiveness, even as we're living in love and forgiveness too. And then trust that the Holy Spirit is going to bring the fruit in their life that is desired. So when I say we're going to trust people into the hands of the Holy Spirit, what I mean by that isn't that we just, you know, throw up our hands and we don't say anything ever, but we trust that the Spirit will give us the right word in the right time and that he will bring the fruit that's desired. I, I, I know that some of the evangelism classes that I've done over the years, that the, the whole thing is, I'm going to lead this person to Jesus, you know, and I'm going to, you know, help this person to convert and more and more what I what I perceive out of the scriptures and, and what I understand about how people come to faith is that we have an opportunity to speak a word that brings faith that's what this chapter is really focused on right faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of Christ and he gives us that word in the right moment but who actually changes their hearts you know and I I have to trust that even when I'm dealing with a curmudgeoning old man that he is there at work in their hearts, stirring with the word, especially a, you know, a, a brother Christian that, that you know, the spirit is using that word to convict and also to speak forgiveness you know, to that, that constant process um, and I think that holding on to that um, can give us a sense of peace as we're dealing with other people now, the first part of what you said you know, we have to work on ourselves I think that there's an element of truth in what you are saying there. That as a person who is now alive in Christ, we strive to live this faith. You know, we seek after the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now, notice those, that, that phrase, seek after. It doesn't mean that we're the ones who are going to produce it. What we're constantly doing is we're coming back to the Spirit and saying, God, you know, 
please bring these things about in me. And so where do I go to find the, 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 the power for these things to take place in me? Well, there are three, maybe four places that God has promised to be for us. So we're, the first is the word, right? And so we, we take time and we hear the word, um, which, as I think of that, um, Lutheran Hour Ministries, the sermon today for the Lutheran Hour, fantastic. Uh, Ken Klaus um, was the Lutheran Hour speaker in the early 2000s, roughly. Um, and uh, he just died this past week. And they replayed one of his Easter sermons that he preached at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It is fantastic. Look it up. Um, some people can just preach. And, and he is definitely one of them. And, uh, you know, so put that on your list. Um, so we want to be in God's word. We want to hear that word. You know, I, I like the idea of reading the scriptures, you know, just to myself. Um, but that being said, you know, if, if you're getting it by listening to it, I, I think that there's something beautiful about that too. Um, yeah. I'm going to put a pin right there. I had a friend who was, didn't need to convert to Christianity. Very Christian, but a very different type. Oh, sure. Much more legalistic and, you know, all that. And I never knew just what to say. And I saw something, I don't know, on the web or something, which I related to her about someone who dies and meets up with St. Peter, who says you need 100 points to get into heaven. And, and the guy said, well, I, 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 I preached to the unchristians, and, and I even converted some. I said, oh, one point. Well, I fed the hungry, oh, one point. I visited the prisoners in jail at well, one point. The guy's getting frustrated. He says, well, if I get into heaven, it's only going to be by the grace of God. And St. Peter says, cha-ching, 100 points. Go on. There you go. Yes. But she got that. Yeah. And now we had a, a base. Yeah. You know. And how long did you have to be in a relationship with this person before you could say those words to her? I can't remember. Right. And in that time, it, it, the spirit was at work yeah. to lead to that moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, um, so being in the Word, and then going back to our baptism, which is the Word, but it's connected to that visible element. Where, you know, th this is why in the Catechism, Luther teaches us to make the sign of the cross every morning when we get up, and every um, lunchtime, and every night before we go to bed. It's not you know, magic, you know, it's not a, uh, uh, a talisman or anything like that. It is a reminder, I am baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His name is on me and he delivers his gifts to me. And that is something that has been done to me and I've received these gifts. You know, and so living in that, receiving the Lord's Supper regularly, because, you know, bread and wine, yes, but it's connected to God's word so that it delivers Jesus' forgiveness and life and salvation to us. And, and this is working in us. It's shaping us. The Spirit is at work really pushing forgiveness into our lives, but also filling us with his power so that then we live according to this faith. And as we do that, I think that there is a possible fourth way, and it's just like the sacraments connect back to the Word, I think this connects back to the Word too, and it's in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Um, in the Lutheran confessions, we call this the mutual consolation of the brethren. Um, but it's basically saying that as we talk to each other, we encourage each other in the faith. You know, and as we're you know, staying connected to that, as we're walking in faith together, as we have people who love us, who know what we struggle with, who can speak into that for us and, and speak God's word into that and love us and deliver forgiveness to us, you know, that these things then shape us so that we live in a way that reflects our Savior. Um, and, uh, um, and, and so, you know, that, that emphasis on God's word and, and what he's doing on us, in us, I, I think is extremely important. Um, I don't remember who I would... I think it was somebody from my former church that always liked to say, no, I do remember. Uh, it was a guy in my vicarage church that just repeatedly would say, I am a work in progress. Now, a lot of times when we say, I am a work in progress, you know, the way that the world talks about that is, I'm working on myself and I'm in progress. And he very much meant, God's got a lot of work to do in me. And thanks be to God, he is doing the work. But he's got a long way to go. <laughs> so, um, I went a long way there, Carly. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I even get to what you wanted to talk about there? Okay, good. So, uh, so faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard through the message about Christ. Um, and so, uh, when, when you look at, uh, at what's being said here, um, this quote... Uh, Lord, who has believed our message, it comes to us out of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. And um, I'd like to give you a little bit of homework uh, for later in the day. I, I'd like for you to take a look at this chapter and see where this comes from. Um, because this is, a, this is a really important part of the scripture. You actually heard this uh, on Good Friday. Lord, who has believed our message? This is our message. Christ crucified, dead, raised for you. Um, you know, that's, that's the message that we want to make sure that we're bringing to people. Um, not, you know, five ways to improve your marriage. Not that there's anything wrong with that conversation. But we bring a message of forgiveness and salvation. Um, I was talking with a person a few days ago, and uh, the individual says, I'm not looking for absolution. I'm like, that's too bad, because that's all I got. That's all I got. I can give you opinions. I can give you, you know, I can give you some wisdom, you know, from over the years of the stupid things that I've done that helped, you know, in different situations in life. But at the end of the day, the gold that I have to give is Jesus' forgiveness. And frankly, that's what you called me to give. That's my job. I'm Mr. Forgiveness. <laughs> All right, um, verse 17, uh, this uh, faith comes by what is heard, or you may have memorized this, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Um, the, the word of Christ is the instrument that God uses to create faith. Um, I, I've cited this before. There was a very popular meme on Facebook a while ago. I still see it from time to time. Uh, it, it says that St. Francis once said, uh, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. One, there is no evidence that St. Francis ever said that. You know, 
another really important quote, don't believe everything you see on the internet, Abraham Lincoln. Um, um, and secondly, there's a lot that you can do in your life that prepares people to hear the gospel or builds a relationship where you have the opportunity to speak the gospel into somebody else's life. And so this idea that, you know, the way that we live impacts our neighbors, which is, I think, part of the idea of preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Um, I, there's truth in that. But at the end of the day, you have to use words to speak the gospel. You know, that, that's the only way that people are going to come to know Jesus. You know, that, that witness, that testimony has to go out. It's the word of God um, testified, the testimony of his witnesses that, you know, actually the spirit uses to create faith in people. So at some point we do have to talk about what, we, you know, who is Jesus in our lives? What do we believe about him? You know, and, and that is, uh, that's important. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, uh, Moses writes this, uh, and I, he, he is, uh, he's actually writing what God is telling him to write at this point. Uh, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving to you today are to be in your heart. Catch this next thing. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Now, this is kind of in the context of a family, but it's not just in the context of a family that this happens. You know, th these are things that we should be talking about. You know, and, and people are like, well, how do I bring it up? I don't know that you have to. I think a lot of times people will open the door for you to talk about your faith life. You know, one of the things that, you know, I'm always a little bit confused by is when I run with my friends, uh, I, the, the main priority in my head is I just need to breathe. And they start asking me questions that I have to answer. And a lot of these are just about, you know, family life or, you know, things that we are frustrated with at work and, you know, all of these things. And then in the conversation, we start talking about things that we care about. And I care about my faith. And frankly, my friends, even those who aren't church-going you know, Christians, they care about my faith. They will ask questions about that. And when there are things going on in their lives, they will ask me to pray for them. Right? Have you experienced that? I know you're a person of prayer. Will you pray about this? And you know what you say at that point? No, but you could be a person of prayer. So, no, don't say that. Yes, of course I'll pray for you. And if you're comfortable with it, let's pray right now. And if you're not comfortable with it, just make sure you do it. Right? Well, we were talking a little bit about that quotation, or non-quotation. Right? Right. I'm certainly going along with that. But there are other nonverbal ways to communicate. 
Oh, sure. I mean, music may or may not have words, but, you know, when you listen to Bach fragments have been used, beginning of church services for centuries. Yeah. And that's part of people's faith. And, and, and art can be part of it. So it's, it's a little more subtle than just this like, bifurcation. Now, if you're trying to convert someone who knows nothing about Christianity, yeah, you've got to tell them the story. But there's yeah. a lot of people who know the story and just haven't gotten caught up in it. I think, though, that there are a lot of us who are Christians who need to hear those words, too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know, um, so uh, I always want to come back to the word. Now, as we live as Christians and we see the beauty of music and in creation, um, you know, I talked, I talked earlier about, you know, what does it mean to live in, with, in relationship with God as creator? You know, and uh, sometimes I just stand out and I look at the trees and, and this is something that just kind of, huh, you know. Um, I was actually, I'll get political again for a moment. Um, I was thinking about plastic straws. And I find this kind of annoying because um, I don't like the feel of the paper cup on my lip, which, you know, big deal, right? Um, on the other hand, that one stupid straw is probably not going to be a problem. It's like less than 1% of the trash. I'm just like, if we're going to do something, let's do something meaningful. And I can't do anything meaningful with plastic straws. However, however, on Fish Creek Road, between Graham and 59, there are now three car washes. One of them just went in in this past year and they cut down a whole grove of trees, which we live in a state that has like next to no forests anyhow. And that is something that had I been aware of beforehand, I could have gone to a meeting and said to somebody that's going to see me in a grocery store and know that I'm annoyed about this. Why are we putting, you know, in a one mile strip, three car washes and cutting down all these trees? A lot of times it's, what can you actually do? You know, I'm going to save the world. How about, how about make your bed? I want to make the world a better place. Fantastic. Start by putting away the dishes. I understand what I'm saying. Sometimes, you know, we want to do the big, big, grand things. But it's the little things that add up. So, I don't know. How did I get to that even? Uh, I don't know. Um, so, uh, listening and hearing are important concepts in the scripture. Uh, actually, when you go through the scripture, a lot of times listening uh, is equated with obedience, um, and, uh, and hearing is connected to believing. Uh, these are really important words as you read through the scriptures. Historically, the Bible was read out loud. All things were read out loud. Uh, there's a neat account from St. Augustine, so this would be around the three, four hundreds, where he was visiting uh, St. Ambrose. They, they didn't call each other saint. Those titles came later. Um, and uh, he was just gobsmacked because Ambrose was re reading. He had a book in front of him, and his lips were moving, but there was no sound. 
people believe that the way that you read was you spoke that out loud and then your ears heard it and then you knew what it said. The idea of you know, converting that in your brain was not how people at that time thought about reading. Um, and frankly, most of the world and most of history, that, that's how it's been, is that reading has been intended to be out loud. Um, it's we weird modern people that read silently uh, to ourselves. Um, it was actually supposed to be communal as well, you know, in a lot of these cultures, that this is something we did together. Um, you know, the, the monks would often have somebody read during dinner so that everybody could listen together, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, as we think about that with God's word, uh, it's important to remember uh, that our God is a God who speaks. He is verbal. He has spoken a word that has been written down, but it is also intended to be spoken by us. Um, so last Sunday, I had a special moment with the technology in, in the late service, uh, the prayer right before communion. It's on two slides, and I've tried to memorize the prayer, and we had a little goof up with the slides, and I was able to make the transition into the next slide, and then it was gone. Um, but uh, I think it's important for us to take God's word, to take these prayers, and to make them our own. Um, it's one of the reasons that we do the baptismal liturgy that we do. I think that we should be able to baptize people without having to read every word. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There are things that need to be said, and so I have an outline to make sure that we, you know, hit all of the high points connected to what is this, what's going on here? But why, why do I need to read the words of institution on Sunday? Shouldn't that be here and here? I, I, it, maybe I'm weird this way. But watch me in there. Because I, I will not read those words. Those are our words. It was important to have in our head and in our hearts. You know, and I'm not saying that this is something that's perfect or anything like that. But it's one of the reasons that we're doing the memory stuff too. I want God's word in our heads and in our hearts so that we're ready to speak it. Speaking of speaking, we have a baptism this morning and I got to get going. So let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we could be here today. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless your word and that you would work through it to strengthen our faith and to help us to live that life of faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.